Chapter 4 Are You Holy? Holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14 I offer the aforementioned text as a subject for self-examination, and I invite you today to think over the question before you, Are You Holy? It's a question that can never be out of season. The wise man tells us there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. Ecclesiastes 3, 4, 7. But there is no time, not a single day, in which we ought not to be holy. Are you? It's a question that concerns all classes and conditions of people. Some are rich and some are poor. Some are educated and some are uneducated, some are masters and some are servants. But there's no station or condition in life in which we should not be holy. Are you holy? I ask that you consider this question. How does the account stand between your soul and God? Stay and listen for a little while, I ask you, while I reason with you about holiness. I believe I could have chosen a subject more popular and pleasant. I'm sure I might have found one easier to handle, but I feel deeply that I could not have chosen one more important and more profitable to your soul. It is a solemn thing to hear God saying that without holiness no one can see the Lord. By God's help, I will try to show you what true holiness is, the reasons why it is so necessary, and the only way it can be attained. The Lord grant you may see and feel the importance of the subject, and when you have finished listening, you lay down this book as a wiser and a better person. What is true holiness? A person may go great lengths and yet never reach true holiness. It is not knowledge, for Balaam had that. Numbers 22 to 24. It's not a great profession of faith. Judas Iscariot had that. It's not doing many things, for Herod had that. It's not zeal for certain matters in religion, Jehu had that. 2 Kings 9-10. Holiness is not morality and outward respectability of conduct. The young ruler who spoke to Jesus had that. Mark 10-17-27. It's not taking pleasure in hearing preachers, for the Jews in Ezekiel's time had that. It's not keeping company with godly people. Joab, Gehazi, and Demas had that. 2 Samuel 3, 2 Kings 5, 2 Timothy 4. Yet none of these people were holy. These things alone are not holiness. A person may have any one of them, yet never see the Lord. What then is true holiness? It's a hard question to answer. I don't mean that there is a lack of information on the subject, but I fear that I might give a defective view of holiness and not say all that ought to be said, or that I speak things about it that ought not to be said, and so do harm. Allow me, however, to say a few words that may help clear your mind. When I'm finished, remember that my account is a poor, imperfect outline at best. Holiness is the habit of being of one mind with God as we find His mind described in Scripture. It's the habit of agreeing with God's judgment, hating what He hates, loving what He loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of His Word. 
He who most entirely agrees with God is the one who is most holy. A holy person will attempt to avoid every known sin and to keep every known commandment. He will have a decided disposition toward God and a strong desire to do His will. He will have a greater fear of displeasing Him than of displeasing the world, and a love for all His ways. He will feel what Paul felt when he said, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, Romans 7.22, and what David felt when he said, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way, Psalm 119.128. A holy person will strive to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, to have the mind that was in him, and to be conformed to his image. It will be his aim to bear with and forgive others, as Christ forgave us, Colossians 3.13, and to be unselfish, as Christ pleased not himself, Romans 15.3. He will try to walk in love as Christ loved us, and to be lowly-minded and humble as Christ made himself of no reputation and humbled himself, Philippians 2.7-8. He will remember that Christ was a faithful witness for the truth, Revelation 1, 5, that he came not to do his own will, John 6, 38, that it was his meat and drink to do his Father's will, John 4, 34, that he would stoop to any work in order to minister to others, John 13, that he was meek and patient under undeserved insults, that he thought more of godly poor men than of kings, that he was full of love and compassion to sinners, Matthew 9.36, that he was bold and uncompromising in denouncing sin, Matthew 23, that he did not seek the praise of men when he might have had it, that he went about doing good, Acts 10.38, that he was separate from worldly people that he continued constant in prayer, and that he would not let even his nearest relations stand in his way when God's work was to be done. Luke 2, 48-49. A holy person will try to remember these things. By them he will try to shape his course in life. He will lay to heart the saying of John, He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. 1 John 2, 6, and the saying of Peter, that Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. Much time would be saved and much sin prevented if people would more often ask themselves the question, what would Christ have said and done if he were in my place? But I would run out of time if I were to mention all the things that make up holiness of character. Still, I must ask you to bear with me while I name a few things that come first in my thoughts. The days we live in make me anxious to keep people from making a mistake about this subject. How can we know if we are holy unless we have a clear view of what holiness includes? A holy person will follow after meekness, long-suffering, gentleness, a kind attitude, and control of his tongue. He will bear much, resist much, overlook much, and be slow to talk of standing on his rights. 
You see bright examples of this in the behavior of David when Shimei cursed him, and of Moses when Aaron and Miriam spoke against him. 2 Samuel 16, 10, Numbers 12, 3. A holy person will follow after self-control and self-denial. He will labor to subdue the desires of his body and to crucify his flesh with its affections and lusts. Galatians 5.24. He will try to curb his passions and to restrain his worldly leanings so that they do not break loose. What a message the Lord Jesus had for the apostles! Scripture, take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. Luke 21.34. The apostle Paul also spoke on the subject, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. 1 Corinthians 9.27. A holy person will pursue charity and brotherly kindness. He will try to observe the golden rule of doing as he would have others do to him and speaking as he would have others speak to him. Matthew 7.12. He will be full of affection toward others, toward their bodies, their property, their characters, their feelings, and their souls. Scripture, He that loveth another, says Paul, hath fulfilled the law. Romans 13, 8. He will abhor all lying, slandering, backbiting, cheating, dishonesty, and unfair dealing, even in the most trivial things. What condemning words are 1 Corinthians 13 and the Sermon on the Mount when laid alongside the conduct of many professing Christians? A holy person will desire to show a spirit of mercy and benevolence toward others. He won't stand idle all day. He won't be content with doing no harm. He will try to do good. He will strive to be useful in his day and generation and to lessen the spiritual needs and misery around him as far as he can. Dorcas was like this, full of good works and alms deeds which she did. Acts 9.36. She didn't merely intend to do good things and talk about doing good things, but she also did them. Paul also lived like this, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. 2 Corinthians 12.15. A holy person will follow after purity of heart. He will dread all filthiness and uncleanness of spirit, and he will seek to avoid all things that might draw him into it. He knows his own heart is like kindling, and he will diligently keep clear of the sparks of temptation. Who will dare to talk of strength when David can fall? There are many hints to be drawn from the ceremonial law. Under the law, the man who only touched a bone, a dead body, a grave, or a diseased person became at once unclean in the sight of God. These things were emblems and figures. Few Christians are always too watchful and too particular about this point. A holy person will follow after the fear of God. I don't mean the fear of a slave who only works because he's afraid of punishment and would be idle if he didn't dread being found out. 
I mean the fear of a child who wishes to live and move as if he was always near his father because he loves him. What a noble example Nehemiah gives us of this. When he became governor in Jerusalem, he could have been a burden to the Jews and required money from them for his support. The former governors had done so. No one would have blamed him if he had. But he said, So did not I because of the fear of God. Nehemiah 5.15. A holy person will pursue humility. He will desire, in lowliness of mind, to esteem all others better than himself. Philippians 2.3. He will see as much evil in his own heart as any other in the world. He will understand something of Abraham's feeling when he said he was but dust and ashes. Genesis 18.27. Of Jacob's, when he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies. Genesis 32.10. Of Job's, when he says, I am vile. Job 40.4. And of Paul's, when he said, He was the chief of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15. Holy Bradford, that faithful martyr of Christ, would sometimes finish his letters with these words, A most miserable sinner, John Bradford. Good old Mr. Grimshaw's last words when he lay on his deathbed were these, Here goes an unprofitable servant. Footnote. John Bradford, 1510-1545, was a bold and holy English preacher and reformer. William Grimshaw was an Anglican pastor who preached the gospel and led an awakening in the north of England. A holy person will follow after faithfulness in all the duties and relations of life. He will try to do his duties and fulfill his roles not merely as well as others, but he will also try to do even better, because he has higher motives and more help than they have. Those words of Paul should never be forgotten. Scripture, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Colossians 3.23, Romans 12.11 Holy people should aim to do everything well, and should be ashamed of allowing themselves to do anything poorly, if they can help it. Like Daniel, they should seek to give no occasion against themselves except as concerning the law of their God. Daniel 6, 5. They should strive to be good husbands, good wives, good parents, good children, good employers, good employees, good neighbors, good friends, good businessmen, and good citizens. Holiness is worth little if it doesn't bear this kind of fruit. The Lord Jesus put a searching question to his people when he asked, What do ye more than others? Matthew 5, 47. Last but not least, a holy person will seek to be spiritually minded. He will try to set his affections entirely on things above, and to hold things on earth with a very loose hand. He will not neglect the business of the life that now is, but first place in his mind and thoughts will be given to the life to come. He will aim to live like one whose treasure is in heaven, and to pass through this world like a stranger and pilgrim traveling to his home. To commune with God in prayer, in the Bible, and in the assembly of His people will be the holy person's greatest joys. 
He will value every place, thing, and company in proportion to how it draws him nearer to God. He will enter into something of David's feeling when he says, My soul followeth hard after thee, and thou art my portion. Psalm 63, 8, 119, 57. This is the outline of holiness that I give to you, and these are the characteristics that those who are called holy strive to have. But here let me say that I hope no one will misunderstand me. I fear that my meaning will be misunderstood, and the description I have given of holiness will discourage some tender conscience. I wouldn't willingly make one righteous heart sad, or throw a stumbling block in any believer's way. I don't mean at all that holiness shuts out the presence of indwelling sin. No, far from it. The greatest miseries of a holy person are that he carries about with him a body of death. Romans 7:24. That often when he would do good, evil is present with him. Romans 7:21. And that the old man is blocking all his movements and as it were is trying to draw him back every step he takes. But it is the excellence of a holy man that he is not at peace with indwelling sin as others are. He hates it mourns over it, and longs to be free from its company. The work of sanctification within him is like the wall of Jerusalem. The building goes forward even in troublous times. Daniel 9.25 Neither am I saying that holiness comes to maturity and perfection all at once, or that these graces I have touched on must be found in full bloom and vigor before you can call someone holy. Again, far from it. Sanctification is always a progressive work. Some men's graces are in the blade, some in the ear, and some are like full corn in the ear. All must have a beginning. We must never despise the day of small things. Zechariah 4.10. Sanctification, even in the very best people, is an imperfect work. The history of the brightest saints that ever lived will contain many a but, a however, and a notwithstanding before you reach the end. The gold will never be without some dross, and the light will never shine without some clouds until we reach the heavenly Jerusalem. The sun itself has spots on its face. The holiest people have many blemishes and defects when weighed in the balance of the sanctuary. Their life is a continued warfare with sin, the world, and the devil, and sometimes you will see them overcome and not overcoming. The flesh is always lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and in many things they offend all. But still, despite all this, I am sure that to have such a character as I have faintly drawn is the heart's desire and prayer of all true Christians. They press toward it even if they don't reach it. They may not attain it, but they always aim at it. It's what they desire to be, even if it's not what they are. This I do mean to say. True holiness is a great reality. It is something in a person that can be seen, known, noticed, and felt by all around him. It is light. If it exists, it will show itself. It is salt. If it exists, its savor will be perceived. It's a precious ointment. If it exists, its presence cannot be hidden. I am sure 
The little I know of my own heart makes me ready to make allowance for much backsliding and occasional deadness. I know a road may lead from one point to another and yet have many winding turns. A man may be truly holy and yet be drawn aside by many infirmities. Gold is not any less gold if it is mixed with alloy. Light is not less light if it is faint and dim, and grace is not less grace if it is young and weak. But after every allowance, I cannot see how any person deserves to be called holy who willfully allows himself to sin and is not humbled and ashamed because of it. I dare not call anyone holy who makes a habit of willfully neglecting known duties and willfully doing what he knows God has commanded him not to do. Well, says John Owen, I don't understand how a man can be a true believer for whom sin is not the greatest burden, sorrow, and trouble. Footnote John Owen, 1616-1683, was a prolific English author and is considered to be one of the greatest Reformed theologians of all time. This is holiness. Examine yourself to see if you are acquainted with it. Prove your own self. Why holiness is so important. Can holiness save us? Can holiness put away sin, cover iniquities, make satisfaction for transgressions, or pay our debt to God? No, not at all. God forbid that I should ever say that. Holiness can do none of these things. The brightest saints are all unprofitable servants. Luke 17, 10. Our purest works are no better than filthy rags when tested by the light of God's holy law. Isaiah 64, 6. The white robe that Jesus offers and faith puts on must be our only righteousness, the name of Christ our only confidence and the Lamb's book of life, our only title to heaven. With all our holiness, we are no better than sinners. Our best things are stained and tainted with imperfection. They are all incomplete, wrong in motive, or defective in performance. By the deeds of the law will no child of Adam ever be justified. Scripture, By grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8-9 Why then is holiness so important? Why does the apostle say that without it no man will see the Lord? Let me give a few reasons. For one thing, we must be holy because the voice of God in Scripture plainly commands it. The Lord Jesus says to His people, Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Matthew 5.48 Paul tells the Thessalonians, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 And Peter says, as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. 1 Peter 1, 15-16 In this, says Leighton, law and gospel agree. 
We must be holy because this is one grand objective and purpose for which Christ came into the world. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. 2 Corinthians 5.15. And to the Ephesians he wrote, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Ephesians 5.25-26. To Titus, Paul said, He gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Titus 2.14. In short, to talk of people being saved from the guilt of sin without being at the same time saved from its power in their hearts is to contradict the witness of all Scripture. Are believers said to be elect? It is through sanctification of the Spirit, 1 Peter 1.2. Are they predestined? It is to be conformed to the image of God's Son, Romans 8.29. Are they chosen? It is that they should be holy, Ephesians 1.4. Are they called? It is with an holy calling, 2 Timothy 1.9. Are they afflicted? It is that they might be partakers of His holiness, Hebrews 12.10. Jesus is a complete Savior. He doesn't merely take away the guilt of a believer's sin, He also breaks its power. We must be holy because this is the only sound evidence that we have a saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The twelfth article of our church says truly, Although good works cannot put away our sins and endure the severity of God's judgment, Yet are they pleasing and acceptable to God in Christ, and do spring out necessarily of a true and lively faith, insomuch that by them a lively faith may be as evidently known as a tree discerned by its fruits. Footnote The thirty nine articles are statements of the Church of England's doctrine and practice relating to the controversies of the Reformation and Roman Catholicism. They are found in the Book of Common Prayer. James warns us that there is such a thing as a dead faith, a faith that goes no further than the profession of the lips and has no influence on a man's character. James 2.17. True saving faith is a very different kind of thing. True faith will always show itself by its fruits. It will sanctify, work by love, overcome the world, and purify the heart. I know that people are fond of talking about deathbed experiences. They will rest on words spoken in the hours of fear, pain, and weakness as if they might take comfort in them about the friends they lose. But I'm afraid that in ninety-nine cases out of one hundred, such experiences are not to be depended on. I suspect people generally die just as they have lived. The only safe evidence that you are one with Christ and Christ is in you is a holy life. Those who live unto the Lord are generally the only people who die in the Lord. If we desire to die the death of the righteous, let us not rest in slothful desires only. Let us seek to live his life. It's a true saying of Robert Trails, that man's state is nothing and his faith unsound 
who finds not his hopes of glory purifying to his heart and life. Footnote Robert Trail, 1642-1716, was a Scottish pastor, author, and theologian. We must be holy because this is the only proof that we love the Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. This is a point on which he has spoken most plainly. In the fourteenth and fifteenth chapters of John, he says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. John 14, 21. If a man love me, he will keep my words. John 14, 23. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. John 15, 14. It will be difficult to find plainer words than these, and woe to those who neglect them. Certainly a person must be in an unhealthy state of soul who can think of all that Jesus suffered and yet still cling to those sins for which that suffering was experienced. It was sin that wove the crown of thorns. It was sin that pierced our Lord's hands, feet, and side. It was sin that brought Him to Gethsemane and Calvary, to the cross and to the grave. Our hearts must be so cold if we don't hate sin and work to get rid of it, even though we have to cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye in doing so. We must be holy because this is the only sound evidence that we are true children of God. Children in this world are generally like their parents. Some, doubtless, are more so, and some less, but it's rare that you can't trace a kind of family likeness. And it's much the same with the children of God. If men have no likeness to the Father in heaven, it's vain to talk of their being his sons. If we know nothing of holiness, we may flatter ourselves as much as we please, but we don't have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We are dead and must be brought to life again. We are lost and must be found. Scripture, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they, and only they, are the sons of God. Romans 8, 14. We must show by our lives the family to which we belong. We must let men see by our good conversation that we are indeed the children of the Holy One, or else calling ourselves children of God is just an empty name. Don't say, says Gurnall, that you have royal blood in your veins and are born of God unless you can prove your pedigree by daring to be holy. Footnote William Gurnall, 1616-1679, was an English author and pastor known for his book on spiritual warfare, The Christian in Complete Armor. We must be holy because this is the most likely way to do good to others. We cannot live for ourselves only in this world. Our lives will always be doing either good or harm to those who see them. They are a silent sermon that everyone can read. It is sad indeed when they are a sermon for the devil's cause and not for God's. I believe that far more is done for Christ's kingdom by the holy living of believers than we are aware of. There is a reality about such living that makes men feel and forces them to think. It carries a weight and influence with it that nothing else can give. It makes Christianity beautiful and draws people to consider it like a lighthouse seen afar. 
the day of judgment will prove that many besides husbands have been won without the word by a holy life. 1 Peter 3, 1. You may talk to people about the doctrines of the gospel, but few will listen and still fewer will understand. But your life is an argument that none can escape. There is a meaning about holiness that not even the most unlearned can help taking in. They may not understand justification, but they can understand love. And I believe there is far more harm done by unholy and inconsistent Christians than we are aware of. Such people are among Satan's best allies. They pull down by their lives what ministers build with their lips. They cause the chariot wheels of the gospel to drive heavily. They supply the children of this world with a never-ending excuse for remaining as they are. I can't see the use of so much religion, said an irreligious tradesman not long ago. I notice that some of my customers are always talking about the gospel, faith, election, and the blessed promises and so forth, yet these very people think nothing of cheating me out of money whenever they have an opportunity. Now, if religious people can do such things, I don't see what good there is in religion. I am embarrassed to have to read such things. I am afraid that Christ's name is too often blasphemed because of the lives of Christians. Let us be careful, lest the blood of souls be required at our hands. Good Lord, deliver us from the murder of souls by inconsistency and careless walking. For the sake of others, if for no other reason, let us strive to be holy. We must be holy because our present comfort greatly depends on it. We cannot be reminded of this too often. We are sadly apt to forget that there is a close connection between sin and sorrow, holiness and happiness, and sanctification and consolation. God has wisely ordered that our well being and our well doing are linked together. He has mercifully provided that, even in this world, it will be in our interest to be holy. Our justification is not by works, and our calling and election are not according to our works. But it is vain for anyone to suppose that he will have a lively sense of his justification or an assurance of his calling as long as he doesn't strive to live a holy life. 1 John 2 3. A believer may as soon expect to feel the sun's rays on a dark and cloudy day as to feel strong consolation in Christ while he is not following him fully. When the disciples abandoned the Lord and fled, they escaped danger, but they were miserable and sad. When, shortly after, they confessed him boldly before men, they were cast into prison and beaten. But we are told they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Acts 5.41. For our own sakes, if there were no other reason, let us strive to be holy. He who follows Jesus most fully will always follow him most comfortably. Last, we must be holy because, without holiness on earth, we will never be prepared to enjoy heaven. Heaven is a holy place. The Lord of heaven is a holy being. The angels are holy creatures. Holiness is written on everything in heaven. The book of Revelation says expressly, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, 
neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. Revelation 21:27. Listener, how will we ever find a place in heaven if we die unholy? Death does not change our character. The grave makes no alteration. Each person will rise again with the same character in which he breathed his last. Where will our place be if we are strangers to holiness now? Suppose for a moment that you were allowed to enter heaven without holiness. What would you do? What possible joy could you feel there? To which of the saints would you join yourself, and by whose side would you sit down? Their pleasures are not your pleasures, their tastes are not your tastes, their character is not your character. How could you possibly be happy if you had not been holy on earth? Perhaps you love the company of the shallow and the careless, the worldly-minded and the covetous, the reveller and the pleasure-seeker, the ungodly and the profane. There will be no one like this in heaven. Perhaps you think the saints of God are too strict, too particular, and too serious. You try to avoid them. You don't enjoy being with them. But there will be no other company in heaven. Perhaps you think that praying, scripture reading, and hymn singing are dull and melancholy, meaningless work, things to be tolerated now and then but not enjoyed. You consider the Sabbath a burden and a weariness. You couldn't possibly spend more than a small part of it worshipping God. But remember, heaven is a never ending Sabbath. The inhabitants there rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, and singing the praise of the Lamb. Revelation 4 8, 5, 13. How could an unholy person find pleasure in activity such as this? Do you think that such a person would delight to meet David, Paul, and John after a life spent doing the very things they spoke against? Would he be able to spend sweet time with them and find that he and they had much in common? Do you think, above all, that he would rejoice to meet Jesus, the crucified one, face to face after clinging to the sins for which he died and after loving his enemies and despising his friends? Would he stand before him in confidence and join in the cry, This is our God, we have waited for him, we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation? Isaiah 25, 9. Instead, don't you think that the tongue of the unholy man would cleave to the roof of his mouth with shame, and his only desire would be to be cast out? He would feel like a stranger in a land he didn't know, a black sheep in the middle of Christ's holy flock. The voice of cherubim and seraphim, the song of angels and archangels, and all the company of heaven would be a language he could not understand. The very air would seem an air he could not breathe. I don't know what you may think, but to me it seems clear that heaven would be a miserable place to an unholy person. It cannot be otherwise. People may say, in a vague way, that they hope to go to heaven, but they don't consider what they say. There must be a certain fitness for the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 1, 12. Our hearts must be somewhat in tune. To reach the holiday of glory, we must pass through the training school of grace. You must be heavenly minded and have heavenly tastes in this life, or you will never find yourself in heaven in the life to come. Now, 
let me add a few words of application. For one thing, let me ask everyone who may read or listen to these pages, Are you holy? Please listen to the question I am asking you today. Do you know anything of the holiness of which I have been speaking? I don't ask if you attend your church regularly, if you have been baptized and received the Lord's Supper, or if you are called a Christian. I ask something more than all this. Are you holy or are you not? I don't ask if you approve of holiness in others, if you like to read the lives of holy people and talk of holy things, if you have religious books on your table, or if you mean to be holy and hope you will be holy some day. I ask something further. Are you yourself holy this very day, or are you not? Why do I ask so pointedly and press the question so strongly? I do it because the text says, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. It is written, it's not my invention, it's the Bible, not my personal opinion, it's the word of God, not of man, that without holiness no man will see the Lord. What important words these are! What thoughts cross my mind as I write them down? I look at the world and see the greater part of it lying in wickedness. I look at professing Christians and see the vast majority having nothing of Christianity but the name. I turn to the Bible and I hear the Spirit saying, Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. It is a text that ought to make you consider your ways and search your hearts. It should raise within you somber thoughts and send you to prayer. You may try to put me off by saying you feel and think about these things more than many suppose. I answer that this is not the point. The poor lost souls in hell do as much as this. The great question is not what you think and what you feel, but what you know. You may say that it was never meant for all Christians to be holy, and that holiness such as I have described is only for great saints and people of extraordinary gifts. My answer is that I cannot see that in Scripture. I read that every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. 1 John 3 3. Without holiness no man shall see the Lord. You may say it is impossible to be so holy and to fulfill our duties and responsibilities in this life at the same time. It cannot be done. But I answer that you are mistaken. It can be done. With God on your side, nothing is impossible. It has been done by many David, Obadiah, Daniel, and the servants of Nero's household are all examples that prove it. You may say that if you were to be so holy, you would be unlike other people. I answer, I know. It's just what I want you to be. Christ's true servants always were unlike the world around them. They were a separate nation and a peculiar people, and if you want to be saved, you must be so too. You may say that at this rate very few will be saved. I answer, I know it. Jesus said so two thousand years ago. Few will be saved because few will take the trouble to seek salvation. Matthew 7.14. Most will not deny themselves the pleasure of sin and their own way for a season. For this they turn their backs on an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away. 1 Peter 1 4. 
Ye will not come to me, says Jesus, that ye might have life. John 5.40. You may say that these things are difficult to accept, and the way is very narrow. I answer, I know it. Jesus said so two thousand years ago. He always said that we must take up the cross daily, that we must be ready to cut off hand or foot if we want to be his disciples. It is in Christianity as it is in other things. There is no gain without pain. That which costs nothing is worth nothing. No matter what you may think or say, if you desire to see the Lord, you must be holy. Where is your Christianity if you are not? Show it to me without holiness if you can. You mustn't merely have a Christian name and Christian knowledge, you must have a Christian character also. You must be a saint on earth if you mean to be a saint in heaven. God has said it, and he will not go back. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. The Pope's calendar, says Jenkin, only makes saints of the dead, but Scripture requires sanctity in the living. Footnote William Jenkin, 1613 to 1685, was an English Puritan pastor and author. Let not men deceive themselves, says Owen. Sanctification is a qualification indispensably necessary unto those who will be under the conduct of the Lord Christ unto salvation. He leads none to heaven except whom he sanctifies on the earth. This living head will not allow dead members. Surely you will not wonder why Scripture says, Ye must be born again. John 3 7. Surely it is as clear as noonday that many people need a complete change, new hearts, new natures, if they are ever to be saved. Old things must pass away, and they must become new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Without holiness, no man, no matter who he is, will see the Lord. Let me now speak briefly to the believer who reads or listens to these pages. I ask, do you think you feel the importance of holiness as much as you should? I admit I fear the spirit of the times about this subject. I doubt very much that it holds that place that it deserves in the thoughts and attention of some of the Lord's people. I would humbly suggest that we are apt to overlook the doctrine of growth in grace. We don't sufficiently consider how very far a person may go in a profession of faith, but have no grace and be dead in God's sight after all. I believe that Judas Iscariot seemed much like the other apostles. When the Lord warned them that one would betray him, no one asked, Is it Judas? We had better think more about Sardis and Laodicea than we do. Revelation 3. I have no desire to make an idol of holiness. I don't wish to dethrone Christ and put holiness in his place, but I must plainly say that I wish sanctification was thought of more in this day than it seems to be. So I will take this occasion to press the subject on all believers into whose hands these pages may fall. I fear it is sometimes forgotten that God has married together justification and sanctification. Beyond question, they are distinct and different things, but one is never found without the other. All justified people are sanctified, and all sanctified people are justified. What God has joined together, 
let no man dare separate. Mark 10, 9. Don't tell me of your justification unless you also have some marks of sanctification. Don't boast of Christ's work for you unless you can show us the Spirit's work in you. Don't think that Christ and the Spirit can ever be divided. If you are a believer, I don't doubt that you know these things, but I think it's good to be reminded of them. Prove that you know them by your life. Try to keep this text often in your mind. Follow peace with all men, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. Honestly, I must say that I wish I didn't perceive such an excessive sensitivity toward the subject of holiness in the minds of believers. It is touched so cautiously that one might really think it was a dangerous subject to handle. Yet when we have exalted Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, we cannot go wrong speaking strongly about what the character of his people should be. Samuel Rutherford wrote, The way that decries duties and sanctification is not the way of grace. Believing and doing are blood friends. Footnote Samuel Rutherford, 1600-1661, was an influential Scottish pastor and theologian. I will try to be reverent, but I must say something. I sometimes fear that if Christ were on earth now, there are many who would think His preaching too legalistic, and if Paul were writing his letters, there are those who would think he had better not write the latter part of most of them as he did. But let us remember, That the Lord Jesus did speak the Sermon on the Mount, and that the Epistle to the Ephesians contains six chapters, not four. I'm sorry I feel I must speak in this way, but I'm sure there is a reason to do so. The great theologian John Owen said more than three hundred years ago that there were people whose whole religion seemed to consist in going about complaining of their own corruptions and telling everyone they could do nothing of themselves. But I ask you, might not the same thing be said of some of Christ's professing people today? I know there are texts in Scripture that warrant such complaints. I don't object to them when they come from people who walk in the steps of the Apostle Paul and fight a good fight, as he did against sin, the devil, and the world. But I never like such complaints when I see grounds for suspecting, as I often do, that they are only a cloak to cover spiritual laziness and an excuse for spiritual sloth. If we say with Paul, O wretched man that I am, Romans 7.24, let us also be able to say with him, I press toward the mark, Philippians 3.14. Let us not quote his example in one thing, but not follow him in another. I do not consider myself to be better than other people, and if anyone asks, Who are you to talk this way? I answer, I am a very poor creature indeed. But I tell you, I cannot read the Bible without desiring to see many believers more spiritual, more holy, more focused, more heavenly minded, and more whole hearted than they are. I want to see among us more of a pilgrim spirit, a more distinct separation from the world, behavior more evidently in heaven, and a closer walk with God. That's why I have written what I have. It's true that we need a higher standard of personal holiness in this day. Where is our patience? Where is our zeal? 
Where is our love? Where are our works? Where is the power of Christianity to be seen as it was in days gone by? Where is that unmistakable tone that used to distinguish the saints of old and shake the world? Truly, our silver has become dross, and our wine is mixed with water. We are all more than half asleep. Scripture, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Romans 13, 12. Let us awake and sleep no longer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Let us open our eyes wider than we have before. Scripture, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Did Christ die, says Owen, but sin still lives? Was he crucified in the world, but our affections for the world are alive and well? Oh, where is the spirit of him who, by the cross of Christ, was crucified to the world and the world to him? Scripture But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Galatians 6 14. Advice to those who desire to be holy. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to become new creatures? Then begin with Christ. You won't do anything until you feel your sin and weakness and flee to Him. He is the beginning of all holiness. He is not only wisdom and righteousness to His people, but sanctification also. Scripture But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 1 Corinthians 1 30. People sometimes try to make themselves holy first, and they do a poor job of it. They toil and labor, turn over many new leaves, and make many changes, and yet, like the woman with the issue of blood before she came to Christ, they were nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Mark 5 26. They run in vain and labor in vain. And it's no wonder, because they are starting at the wrong end. They are building up a wall of sand. Their work runs down as fast as they put it up. They are bailing water out of a leaky vessel. The leak gains on them, rather than they on the leak. Another foundation of holiness can no man lay than that which Paul laid, even Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.11 Without Christ, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. It's a strong but true saying of trails Wisdom outside of Christ is damning folly. Righteousness outside of Christ is guilt and condemnation. Sanctification outside of Christ is filth and sin. Redemption outside of Christ is bondage and slavery. Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be partakers of the divine nature? Then go to Christ. Wait for nothing. Wait for nobody. Don't linger. Don't think about trying to make yourself ready. Go and say to him in the words of that beautiful hymn Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, flee to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Footnote From 
Rock of Ages by Augustus M. Toplady, 1740-1778 Not a brick or a stone is laid in the work of our sanctification until we go to Christ. Holiness is His special gift to His believing people. Holiness is the work He carries on in their hearts by the Spirit whom He puts within them. He is anointed a Prince and a Saviour to give repentance as well as remission of sins. Acts 5.31 As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God. John 1.12 Holiness is not inherited. Parents cannot give it to their children. It is not of the will of the flesh. We cannot produce it in ourselves, nor is it of the will of man. Ministers cannot give it to you by baptism. Holiness comes from Christ. It is the result of vital union with Him. It is the fruit of being a living branch of the true vine. So go to Christ and say, Lord, not only save me from the guilt of sin, but also send the Spirit whom you promised and save me from its power. Make me holy. Teach me to do your will. Do you desire to be holy continually? Then abide in Christ. Christ Himself says, Abide in me, and I in you. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. John 15, 4-5 It pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. A full supply for all a believer's needs. Colossians 1, 19 He is the physician to whom you must daily go if you want to stay well. He is the manna that you must daily eat and the rock of which you must daily drink. His arm is the arm on which you must daily lean as you come up out of the wilderness of this world. You must not only be rooted in Him, but you must also be built up in Him. Paul was indeed a man of God. He was a holy man, a growing, thriving Christian. What was the secret of it all? He was one to whom Christ was everything. He was ever looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12, 2. I can do all things, he says, through Christ which strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13. I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God. Galatians 2.20. Go and do likewise. I want you to know these things by experience, and not by hearsay only. May we all feel the importance of holiness far more than we ever have. If our years are holy years with our souls, then I know they will be happy ones. If we live, may we live unto the Lord. If we die, may we die unto the Lord. Romans 14, 8. If He comes for us, may we be found in peace, without spot and blameless. May the Lord open your heart and make my words timely and fitting to your soul.